to the Better Golf Podcast, powered by Win Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks. What is up, everybody? We are back at Better Golf and here to run you through the board for this week's CJ Cup. If you aren't doing so already, you can follow my co-host on Twitter at S-T-I-X-P-I-C-K-S. There you will find not only his golf thoughts, but also his adjusted expected total yards model for football. One of the leading tools in the space if you're trying to take your betting or DFS game to the next level. You can also find me at T-Off Sports. But Nick, it's been a few weeks since we've done this show together. How's football been treating you? And how's Vegas last week? A little birdie told me that you were in my hometown. Yeah, Vegas was Vegas. You know, like we said, uh, a lot of we were there for the gaming conference of so the G2E stuff. So a lot of cool sports betting uh, technology that's coming to the market. A lot of more casino based stuff, which is more what I was there for for work. But uh, a lot of fun as well. I had an absolute heater on the blackjack table the first two nights. Did not leave on a heater, so uh, you could take that for what it's worth. I did hit a hand pay on a slot machine with a coworker too. Still did not end up as a great trip. So <laughs> I, I was playing big, and it, uh, I was, you know, I was trying to leave with five digits, and we tried, and it, uh, it didn't happen. But you know, next time, that's uh, that's what Vegas is for. There's always next time, but. Um, football's been up and down. Uh, cash games have been amazing. So, um, very steady there. So keeping the bankroll in, in check, um, GPPs, it's just been a, such a chalk heavy year so far. And even this week, like I, I tried to find a way not to go to Josh Allen in GPPs and I just couldn't do it. So I did roster Josh Allen. It was a fantastic GPP week for me, uh, this week. I think I was nine points away from taking the hundred K game changer down myself, but Needed a little more out of Juju, and then Mahomes throws the pick, so we ended up in fifth. But it, it was a fantastic week overall. Cash and GPP this week was great. Um, Juju was like 5% owned, which blew my mind. That Based on the coverage that Buffalo runs, like he clearly stood out as the best runback option if you were stacking Buffalo, and everybody just went to the recency bias of McColl, or I'm sorry, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And it, it's nuts. Like I really thought, especially in like higher stakes contest that was i think 1500 to enter i really thought like people would look at coverages and try to like especially if they're going to play chalk like at least find players in that game that really fit the narrative outside like stefan Diggs. everybody knew that was a great play i played a ton ton of devin singletary when i did not play josh allen that was kind of my leverage off of if josh fails i really like the matchup for devin singletary especially with the pass catching upside against how much casey blitzes and uh yeah again just ranting on football we could talk for hours about it but yeah it, was, it just blew my mind that no one played juju at all and i had hollywood brown in my lineup i think at 10 percent owned and uh if he could have got anything too like we should have should have took down that tournament no matter what but it didn't happen but a great finish either way um but yeah so i could talk football for hours but let's get into the cj cup small field and a loaded field at that like going through the dfs board i'm trying to find a way to get different like i thought no one would play shane lowry my model loves him he's probably in top 10 of ownership looking at it right now i don't know i'm excited to talk the dfs side of this with you because i will be playing this week but i just don't know like if Matt Fitzpatrick is maybe ten percent owned, I think that's probably my favorite play. But we'll get into that. What do you What do you think about the tournament? Um, yeah, and then sorry we we've been off the past couple of weeks. I just really didn't think those last two tournaments were worth talking about a whole lot. Like there's so many first time starters, all the Corn Fairy guys coming up. I'd rather see them develop throughout the fall 
and just let us be more educated in the in the winter and springtime when I think we really deliver the best shows that we can when there's more data out there. We're both analytical guys. So I'd rather see what they do on PGA courses than, you know, just say he finished in the top 10 in his last six months in the corn Ferry tour. Like that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. It's good to know something about these guys. Sure. And there are plenty of guys in this space that talk a ton about corn Ferry guys and break them down. Like that's not what I'm here for. So I'd rather just go follow them and read what they say. Maybe you break down the corn Ferry a little bit more in the fall than I do certainly, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the event. I think it's going to be fun to watch and there's just so much talent. Like it's just refreshing to see all these great players. Like obviously Liv took a chunk out of the PGA tour this year, but you look at this lineup for the CJ cup and it's, it's exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So let's get into that. So we have Congaree golf club, 7,655 yards, par 71 Bermuda greens. Uh, we saw Congaree fill in as a replacement course in 2021 when it was the venue of choice for the Palmetto championship. Garrick Higo took home that title at 11 under par. I would say the field strength was okay. It featured Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Sung Jam, and Terrell Hatton. But I'd have to imagine that the upside of this field likely gets us to a winning score that is marginally better than 11 under par. I don't want to make it seem like we have some birdie shootout on our hands because we don't. But I wouldn't be shocked if someone caught fire and got themselves to around 13, maybe to 15 under par. Nick, as always, I'll start with you. We have limited data on hand with only one year of trackable information. There are some oddities and quirks to the track that we can talk about here in a second. But did you see anything that became a strength for your model when building out the odds this week? Not really. Again, like you said, not much data on the course. So a little bit of shooting from the hip, but I weighted uh, stroke sand off the tee pretty heavily. So more so on the distance side, but accuracy, anytime there's Bermuda rough, I think that accuracy off the tee is going to be very important. Um, approach proximities from 50 to 100 and then approach proximities from like greater than 175. So there is a lot of long iron shots, especially with the par 71. So driving distance, accuracy, and then obviously the the key approach metrics there. And then putting on Bermuda is going to be huge. So it blows my mind that I'm seeing Sam Burns under 15% in such a small field with uh, Bermuda Burns there. But um, no, nothing crazy. Just overall, I guess, to summarize, well-rounded golf was probably the main focus of my model. And I will give you the top five of that output real quick. That was Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, Shane Lowry, number four. And Jordan Spieth, number five, despite the uh, the erraticness off the tee for Jordan Spieth, my model seems to love the form that he's in. I mean, he was the best player at the uh, the President's Cup there, so I'm excited to see him compete. And he seems to always rise to the occasion when it's a stack field. Yeah, I have a very similar top five that I'll get to in a second, but there are a couple of takeaways for me. I think the first note is that living and dying with one year of information is a dangerous move. It's very similar to how I would explain the functioning ability of my model right now when it comes to some of the Corn Ferry prospects. Uh, one good or bad result is skewing the data too heavily. And I think we get a similar viewpoint here for this venue where it's difficult, I would say, to take too much away from one off data set that happened nearly two years ago in an inferior field. Now, we do have to make some sense of the information or we're just blindly picking traits out of a hat. But I took a relatively steady outlook with my numbers I use for my model to try and avoid any massive mistakes during my recalculation process. Uh, we will get into that in a second and how I handled it, but I do want to talk about the venue very quickly since it's a unique layout in multiple facets of what it's asking out of the field. There's wide fairways and virtually no rough. 
That's going to benefit length off the tee, especially when you look at the gargantuan total of nearly 7,700 yards for a par 71. But tons of wasteland areas are filled with sand and other impediments if you do go wayward with the driver. And by the way, that's fine when discussing things from a pure aggression standpoint, but the length still matters for multiple reasons. Maybe in an ordinary world, we would see accuracy make more of an impact than it did for me to avoid this trouble. But a lot of the obstacles can be taken out of play with distance, which is why we see length averaging nearly 20 yards more here than a typical stop on tour. Uh, greens are on the larger side and feature a fam fast and firm surface that will be protected by undulation and bunkers located above and below. Those two factors will enhance sand save percentage and short game metrics, and the ability to putt from off the surface will make three-putt avoidance another tangible way to attack scrambling. Proximity from 200-plus yards is probably my preferred way to put approach game metrics into it, since 27.9% of shots occurred from that distance in 2021. But to me, it feels like a venue that rewards a bomb and scramble approach since attacking pins from the correct angle will be more important than attacking it solely out of the fairway. I started my model in a basic way of doing 10% each on three different categories. That would be strokes gain total on difficult courses, strokes gain total on firm and fast conditions, and strokes gain total on long courses. That's always been my way of forming a blueprint to mimic simil similar historical data when we don't have tons of information on hand. 30% uh, on my recalculated T to green category. That's where we have to be careful with the one year of data. But 2021 saw an 8.2% increase in importance regarding strokes gain off the tee over a typical track. Uh, my numbers that went into that category are extremely reconstructed. And just to give an example, off the tee took 70% of my totals from a two-year running perspective and then added 30% weight for distance. Every layer was reformed for each specific metric, but it essentially equated to a mixture of 33% off the tee. 44% approach and 23% around the green to gain my new total for the weighted tee to green. As I said, those are very restructured numbers in the way that I did it. Uh, par three plus par four for 15%. I'll probably save that answer for an article this week since it will likely be long winded. I did weighted par five for 12 and a half percent. That was 50% par five birdie or better percentage, 16 and a half percent off the tee, 22% long iron play and 11 and a half percent around the green in a much more basic output than what I use for tee to green. And then I wrapped it up with fairway plus greenside bunkers for 12.5%. Uh, top five of that model yielded Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, Sung M, John Rahm, and Scotty Scheffler. I did have Lowry and Spieth just outside of that at seventh and eighth or something in my model. But um, I think it's an interesting tournament from a DFS perspective. Obviously, it's a no-cut uh, do you want to move into that right now, Nick? I'll let you run the board for us. And uh, I guess let's start into the top $10,000 range and work our way down. All righty. So Rory, 11K, the only guy at 11K. So we'll go 10 and above. So we got Justin Thomas, Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, Rory McIlroy. I love them all. Um, yeah. I, I don't know who I would fade there. Like Rory seems like a must play. He's playing fantastic. All these guys are playing fantastic golf. John Rahm's finding his form overseas. That's dangerous. So I feel like I would lean John Rahm as my most rostered guy at the, but like, I don't know how you fade Rory. It's tough because you pretty much have to choose one of these guys. I think JT would be the odd man out for me. How about you? So I'm curious to hear your answer to this. I would say that these four probably have about a 35% win equity. Um, in this field, I don't know if you have similar numbers to that or if you're in agreement with that. Yeah, 100%. I think that's 
damn near identical. So that's where this becomes really challenging is that, as you said, Nick, there's really not a natural fade candidate when you're looking at this group. All four of these guys rank inside the top five of me from an overall rank sense. Uh, all four of them are inside the top seven for upside. It's going to come down to ownership to an extent. And I was really high on Justin Thomas. My model loves him from an upside perspective. The one thing I want to point out about Thomas that is worrying me a little bit, offshore it. markets hate him, like absolutely yeah. hate him in every single matchup. I saw Rory minus 200 against him, and that's fine. I'm willing to trust my model in these spots. It's not like a situation to where I see, like I run numbers because I'm trying to find that advantage myself, but it does worry me for a DFS contest when Justin Thomas is also going to be very popular. He, you know, he's I'm seeing about 20% right now. I see Rory at 22. I see Rom at 15. I see Scheffler at 14. If we're picking and choosing our spots, it's kind of where it becomes difficult because I think you have to play multiple of these guys. You're going to have to naturally lose somebody if you're going to try to create leverage in this contest. And uh, that's where like this unique dynamic comes into play is my upside model loves Justin Thomas. I love him in a no cut event. I don't love that 20% of people are on him when, you know, it's kind of that, like, if you view it from like a football sense, anytime that you have the sharp money moving in one direction and you have the public and the squares on the other side, that's never exactly where you want to be. And I think it's a little bit stronger here with Thomas. Like I have more faith in him that he might win this tournament. But there is still volatility with him, which makes him, I guess, technically a worse DraftKings play. But it's also a no-cut event, and that high-end upside is going to come into play. And that's where it's like this, this weird, like, it's kind of hard to figure out who you want to play and who you want to not play out of this group. And have you made me power rank them? I mean, Scheffler's starting to take a really big boost in my model the more that I run numbers. I probably will still fall into the Thomas trap at the end of the day and I mean if that means that I'm out on Rom and Rory that might be the mistake of this whole thing because that seems to be where the two sharp monies are coming in on those two guys but uh really hard to get rid of somebody I know that doesn't answer the question of who I'm playing and who I'm not but I'm gonna let like another 24 hours go by and kind of start making decisions as ownership becomes a little bit more um concentrated into different areas here yeah, this is tough. Uh, quick question for you. Do you value or devalue anybody traveling back from the Zozo? Do you have, I mean, again, we have limited data, so people making that jump back to another tournament the next week, not a whole lot on there, but does that matter to you at all? Not really. I mean, if it if it comes down to a tiebreaker with somebody, maybe, but like, I, I like Sung JM. I don't love the ownership with Sung JM, but I like Sung JM. I'm not going to not play Sung J because he's coming back. That's fair. Okay. We will go to the 9K range. We got Matt Fitzpatrick, Sanjay M, Sam Burns, Victor Hovland, and Max Homa and Colin Morikawa. It looks like the public is going to Victor Hovland, especially how good he played at the Zozo. I'm probably out on Hovland, I think, exclusively. I don't even know if you could talk me into him. I just don't see much upside in GPPs, especially with big greens. The three-putt avoidance, that's going to be a knock on him. Bermuda Burns at 10 to 15% ownership, I think is fantastic. Sanjay's fantastic. I like Fitzpatrick. If he's if the lowest ownership is going to Matt Fitzpatrick, I think I'll go there, especially if we're both kind of projecting this tournament to be, you know, 15 under or worse. So I, I think that's a tournament that he could certainly, you know, fight in. I, I like him a lot there, especially when we're putting such an emphasis on putting a 10% ownership. Give me Fitzpatrick over all these guys. Yeah, I would say Fitzpatrick is very quickly becoming my favorite play in the $9,000 section. And 
I made this argument in one of my articles, but like when you look at T to green and then you look at my weighted T to green, so he's sixth in T to green and then he's 31st in weighted T to green, which technically is supposed to be, you know, mimic towards this venue. That's where all that proximity play comes into the mix here. And it's never going to look pretty for Fitzpatrick when you put that into the fold, but it's like guys like Fitzpatrick and Fleetwood and some of these guys that are maybe not as long off the tee. If you have an elite skill set, whether that be a putter or you're around the green game or how you play out of a bunker, I think all those guys are plenty long enough that they can find success. Now, if it's a player that, I mean, let's call it the top 50 of a 78 man field. If you're not inside the top 50 in driving distance, you might be dead in the water on arrival here. But guys like Fitzpatrick, like he's inside the top 35 for me. I think he has clearly enough distance that he can handle this test. We know that he plays difficult courses well. I like Sung JM. Don't love the ownership. That's kind of where the Fitzpatrick love is coming into play. Um, Sam Burns is unique. I wasn't expecting 11% ownership for him. I kind of thought that we would be getting a 20% number from him, and that's not the case right now. So, like, I'd rather play Max Homa if ownership wasn't a problem. I'd rather play Sungjae and Fitzpatrick. But at some point, ownership has to be discussed here. So I certainly think he's in consideration. The Hovland number, I wrote about this also. Like, if Hovland would have been 7 to 10%, I would have been intrigued. At 15%, I'm going to let him beat me. I'm going to let Morikawa beat me at 10.5%. I worry about some of these things that... You know, it's I'd like to get your take on this, Nick, because I don't really know how to answer this question. But so I looked and I'm not a big course, like trying to find similar courses and uh, mimic it towards that course. Like, I think every course is unique in that sense. But I looked at concession, which is where the WGC was played. Uh, that's the tournament that Morikawa won. Hovland made a quadruple bogey on 18 on Friday to where he probably should have won that tournament. Billy Horschel was up there. These are a lot of guys that are more accurate off the tee that had some good iron play for the week. You know, maybe there's something to be said that if I'm thinking that that's like a corollary venue, maybe I'm missing something here in my model because when I ran that tournament, my model did not like Morikawa. It didn't like Hovland. I was on the wrong side of that. But uh, any substance that you're putting into that? No, I mean, not really. I didn't look at it that in that in depth. It's more so just like, Overall, anybody that I'm fading, it's going to be on an ownership base. Yeah, and it well, and it's the other problem that comes into play too, and especially for Morikawa here. Like, I want to find high end upside totals that they're bringing to the table, and Morikawa just is lacking too much across the board. Like, at least somebody like Max Homa is bringing in like, like I'll give you some random numbers here. He's number one from specific par four ranges that I looked at. He's number four when I looked at par three and par fours combined. He's number five in weighted par five scoring. Like at least those are high end totals that I can point to, to where, yeah, there are problems to his game. Like there's certain things that might not work as well for him here, but at least I can find the high upside that I'm trying to find there. Wasn't able to find it as much with Morikawa. Um, wasn't able to find it as much with Sam Burns either. Maybe that's a reason to not play him in an Okada. Maybe that's where the lack of ownership is coming from there. But um, kind of to wrap that all back to where we were at, I think Fitzpatrick's the best play with an ownership sense there. Yeah, that, that's where I'm at currently. If that changes, I think I'm fine with paying down to, yeah, like Max Homa, but it looks like his ownership's going to be crazy too. But Sam Burns, I guess, would be honorable mention. My second guy at the 10 to 12% ownership range there. 8K, we got... Tom Kim, uh, are you playing Tom Kim or no? Just the distance alone, the long iron play, I, I think I'm out there. I mean, fantastic player. It was great to see him 
I, I guess Cantley kind of handed it to him on 18 there, but Tom Kim is a fantastic story and the dude is on fire. So I'll never count him out, but at 15% ownership when the data we have on him says that we could warrant a fade at 8.9 K on longer courses. I think I'll be out there. Jordy. I love, I think I'll probably just get my exposure in the outright market to him because the volatility there, I'd, like his ownership's not sub 10%. So I think if he were to go nuts, I'd rather just be on the outright side or a top 10, top five placement bet. Um, Hideki at 5% ownership intrigues me. Cameron Young, what are we doing with Cameron Young? Tyrrell Hatton, Keegan Bradley, Shane Lowry, Taylor Montgomery, Sahith Sagala, Thigala, sorry. It's been a couple off weeks here. Butchering names already. That's great. Corey Connors and Billy Ho round out the AK range. So there's a ton of guys here. I think most rosters will probably take two of these guys. I would assume more on the lower end. So probably Cameron Young right now based on ownership. And then someone like I think Corey Connors will probably draw a lot of ownership. I doubt people go to Sahith. And I doubt people go to Billy Horschel just because they're going to be like, oh, it's a long course. Billy Horschel can't do it. I kind of like Billy Horschel a lot this week. I kind of like Billy Horschel from a leverage sense. Um, he's one of Dude's the on fire, too. He's balling out in your top 10 uh, or tied 10th at the Alfred, tied 9th at the BMW, obviously, to end the year there, or uh, the BMW PGA at Europe. So that was in, what, September, week one of NFL, I think. But And then, obviously, made the Tour Championship. So I think Billy Horschel's got some legs here in this tournament for yeah, no ownership. Two. Obviously he could fall apart. Yeah. I mean, the two best leverage options for me from $8,000 and above would be Horschel and Hideki Matsuyama. Now I don't know if I can get there on Hideki. I think I've reached the point with him where I want to make him beat me. Like I want to see him to actually do it at some point. Now at 8,700, it's better to be paying that price than when we were paying 10,000 or 9,000 something. And you know, getting some of these finishes from him. So at least the salary is starting to become a little bit more normal on it. But uh, if I was the powering these guys, Spieth is my favorite. I'm kind of willing to take on the volatility with this being a no-cut tournament. I think that's something that's important, at least for me, that I'm trying to look at is it's it's one of those weeks where, assuming that you can't get hurt, and maybe this is where Hideki runs into a problem, <laughs> is that there is withdrawal potential with him. But assuming that everybody's going to play four days, like I want the players that are going to give me the best chance to produce birdies and to produce totals, and maybe they outperform their finishing position. I think a guy like Jordan Spieth does that, and that's also why I can't quite get myself off of Justin Thomas at this point. I think he's really good at that also. So uh, Spieth is my favorite. Shane Lowry would be my second favorite. Don't love the 16% ownership, but I'd rather play Lowry than Cameron Young if I'm directly comparing the two, and I don't think it's like a massive difference, but there is a slight difference that I would rather play Lowry. And then uh, I'm okay eating some of the ownership with Corey Connors at like 11%. And I guess the fourth honorable mention for me would be Billy Horschel just because of the leverage that he does create. I, I don't see enough with Sahith. I think he might be a little, like he has the distance. I don't know. He's playing really well right now. My model doesn't like him. And I'm going to just look at my model in that sense and kind of trust it. And uh, same thing with Taylor Montgomery to an extent, like my model likes him better, but I don't know. I mean, these corn fairy guys give him one or two bad starts in a row. And all of a sudden he'll plummet from 14th in my model to like 50th. So I'll probably be on the outside on him, but it's not a section that I love. Like I'm okay, probably more okay than you are with Tom Kim. He was 10th overall for me. He was 14th for upside. Those are not necessarily numbers that I'm like jumping up and down about when he's 15% owned, but I wouldn't be shocked if he produces once again, like there's no reason for me to believe in, 
we're kind of seeing it every week, no matter what kind of venue you put them on. Like, yeah, this isn't quite the prototypical (laughs) track, but like, if we're going to say that, and Matthew Fitzpatrick is longer than him. So it's not like the best example to be made, but we're going to say that Fitzpatrick or maybe like a Fleetwood can find success out here on a more difficult track. I don't see why Tom Kim can't get it out there long enough and use the game that he's been playing with for the last couple of weeks. That's so good at this point to where, you know, he makes a run towards the top 10. So I don't mind putting him into my player pool. I think like the one player to me that I'm really scratching my head about that I don't know what to do with would be Cameron Young because the distance is brilliant. That's what you want to see. But man, everybody wants to play him this week. Is he a free square at 8,600 or is he a fade? That's kind of like, that's the question. I don't think he's a free square. So, I mean, I don't know if he's a fade either, but I don't think he's like some like automatic pencil into where I feel comfortable playing him. There's still volatility to be had with him. And, you know, you and I talked about this and I can't remember what tournament it was. Uh, might've been one of the majors, which is a little bit different than this, but everybody was on him and our whole like sentiment there was like, we don't want to play him. And then all of a sudden the open championship comes around and nobody's on him and then play him all (laughs) of a sudden. So I think we've done a good job playing the ownership game with Cameron Young. And at some point it's going to bite us. Um, I'm kind of leaning right now towards just sitting on the sideline with him in DFS. And if I wanted to have exposure to him, I would have been more likely to do it as an outright bet than anything, even though I am saying volatility is a good thing, but I don't know if volatility on a younger player like Cameron Young makes as much sense as volatility on Jordan Spieth. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, that's pretty much what it comes down to the, the year of 2022 is I pretty much decide if I'm playing Cam Young based on ownership. Still upset about that DJ putt. That stings to this day. That should have should have won the open Millie Maker. But who, you know, whatever. We'll move on to the seven K range. Um, based on lineups, I'm trying to build as we go. I think most people will probably play three people from this range. So if you want to get different, go with two or less. I think otherwise, go with more. Um, just in terms of lineup construction, maybe that's not the way you want to look at it. But I would just give that piece of advice because just like looking at the obvious way to build the lineup it's going to call for three of these guys if not four we got emiliano grio up top 7900 aaron wise siwoo kim tom hoagie brian Harmon, mito Pereira, tommy fleetwood sub 10 percent at 7600 we'll talk about him i'm sure we both are on that cameron davis alex noren jay day is jay day back i mean how kind of how many pairs of pants did you have to bring to the shriners because he was striping the ball even the iron play was good like jay day iron play was good i was he was out driving pendrith he looked really good all right i'm locking him in so my lineup right now that i'm trying to build on air i tried to go with rory i can't do it so i took scotty scheffler at 10-4 that's the highest guy i got then i do have two guys in the 7k range i'm trying to only go with two because i think the obvious build is three or four so jason day is in there and tommy fleetwood's in there we'll go to the low 7k range ricky fowler a little sign of life last week sep straka seems to fit this course well i don't know if i'm gonna be on there it looks like he's probably the most popular in this price range along with mito got andrew putnam sebastian munoz russell henley i'd Probably could just roster him and get hurt like I always do. Adam Hadwin, Scott Stallings, Bezadenhout, Keith Mitchell, uh, S.H. Kim. Don't know how to say his first name. I've already butchered enough names this week. I will pass. Kurt Kitayama, J.T. Poston, Denny McCarthy, Taylor Moore, Seamus Power. I will start, I think, the only two guys I'm really interested in, and the rest will probably be like, all right, what fits in my lineup? But, again, I'm trying to keep it to two guys in this range is going to be Jason Day and Tommy Fleetwood. 
I would like to avoid this section as much as I possibly can, partially for the reason that you said, I think that you can get different. And and then the other reason is I also don't think that this range is as robust as people seem to think that it is like, let me stack the top of the board with a couple options and I'll work down into the $6,000 range. There's enough players there that I'm fine with playing. Thank God. Um, I need, I need one in a minute here. We can talk about some of those, but if I'm looking at players that are at least like a positive leverage for me when it comes to DK price and with ownership, uh, it would be Tommy Fleetwood. Yep. It would be, I mean, technically Ricky Fowler. I don't know if I trust them in this spot, but I mean, I don't want to like exclude somebody that is grading in that sense. Um, it would be Christian Bezadenhout, which I don't know if I trust him either. And I mean, after that, I'm kind of out of choices. And that's one of the reasons why I, I would rather just like miss this section. There's a lot of players I like, and I want to make that clear. Like I'm fine with Keith Mitchell. I don't like 13% ownership. I love Aaron wise. I don't love 17% yeah. ownership. That's all this comes down to on those guys. Like, I think there's other ways that I can get exposure to them to where I don't believe the upside is so great to where, you know, give me Fleetwood at 7%. I, I the upside with him is very similar in my eyes as the upside with like a wise or a Mitchell in this spot. hundred percent. Yeah. I'm, I'm in on Tommy Fleetwood, but stop me if I'm wrong. Jason day comes off the best ball striking weekend of the 2020s and you're not in just that's what's being said here. I mean, I'm never going to love him when he sucks. <laughs> you love him when he sucks, but no. now that he's actually like, yeah, distance off the tee was fantastic, too. Like you said, you saw it with your own eye. The data backs it up. I believe he was hitting fairways, too. He was, he was. fairways he was like crazy. Accurate. Yeah, I think he was top five in the field in accuracy. So and it, top it, 20 in distance. What What is going on? So we have a yeah, 70... I'll take Spencer back, whoever is hosting right now. I'll bring me Spencer back. <laughs> we, we have a 78-man field, right? So this is going to be out of 78 players that these upgrades are coming from. So it's ranking them out of 78 players. If you take my two-year running model that I have, and then you compare it to the last 24 rounds of data, uh, he's four spots better in strokes gain total. He's 29 spots better in strokes gain T to green. He's 35 spots better off the T. That is a very critical one for him. He's 15 spots better on approach. That's a huge one because he was dead last. Uh, he is two spots worse around the green, and he is 10 spots worse with his putting. So, no, I, I'm fine with Jason Day. I think when you run it from a model sense, there's you're not going to ever like it, at least if you're running it from like a longer perspective like I am. If you condense the data down into just the last 24 rounds, there are reasons in life and, and spots to why you would believe that he maybe has turned around. I was looking at some of his proximity numbers. I don't have the exact ranges in front of me right now. Again, this would only be through like eight rounds or whatever it is at this point, but he was in the top 10 of a whole bunch of proximity ranges. And like, if he's going to be that good at this point, and we know that he has historically been good on some of these longer tests, I'm okay with him compared to most of these other guys in this range. Now, um, the other name that I'll point out that nobody's on, and I see a lot of sharp money and my model did not like him, but it's at least noteworthy is Alex Norin. I see yeah. like two and a half percent right now. And, um, you know, I think he opened at 80 to one. I've seen him as low as like 50 to one at some shops. So, I would keep an eye on him, but it's kind of like the Norin Day Fowler I will be considering. Uh, I do like Fleetwood, and I mean, that's pretty much it for me. Like, But none of these guys are going to be staples to my lineup. Like, you're more aggressive probably with Day than I am in this sense, but like 
I don't know what ownership percentage you see right now on him. I see 6.4%. Yeah, just five to seven is what I'm looking at. So, all right, Alex Noren, because Noren was the other guy I talked about right before we pressed record. Noren or Jason Day? Um, like, Noren was great at the Alfred Dunhill. We got tied second. Don't see much data on that. Obviously, we're not going to get that data, but iron play before that was pretty bad. So until the summer, I think the last time he gained strokes on approach with, uh, and it, obviously at the Barracuda, I'm sure he did, but the Genesis Scottish Open was the last time. So it's like, that's a little worrisome, but if no one's going to play a guy that's arguably one of the best putters in the field, if not the best putter in the field, arguably, I kind of am interested in Alex Norton. I think they have very similar skill sets when you look at the two of them. I would prefer Jason Day. Um, just because we know of what his upside is if he does put it together and if there are signs of life coming into play. And, and by the way, I liked Alex Norin at the Shriners. Like, he was one of my picks to win the tournament, so I don't have a problem going back to him either at this point. But, um, I mean, at 2.5%, mostly if, I mean, you're building out 150 lineups, you don't need that many uh, to get massively overweight to him. And that's kind of the same point I was going to make with Jason Day is I think you know, if you get to two X the field with him, like I don't necessarily trust him to the point where I'm trying to get this into a 25, 30% range, but you know, at like 12 and a half, 15%, I'm fine. Like getting unique in that sense, because it's such a limited player pool to begin with, with only 78 players. Like we're not going to have enough roster spots available. Like it's going to be the same build over and over again. If we don't fit in some of these $7,000 guys, which is why like me saying Tommy Fleetwood isn't an acceptable answer. You have to find somebody more than Tommy Fleetwood. And uh, yeah, I mean, like the Jason Days, the Alex Norens, like at least give me these guys that have shown success in the past. And, and I know we're getting them at no ownership and there is upside to be had. Love it. All right. I will not name off all the guys in the 6K range. Give me three guys that you like in the 6K range. Right now, my lineup calls for 6,700 or less. I think I would be leaning... Like, I don't even like Chris Kirk. I don't think I could play J.J. Spawn, but he's at least in good form. Give me somebody in that range, 67 and below, unless you really like somebody in this high 6K range, but I'm not going to play him. I'm playing one lineup this week. That's what I do during football. I don't MME both because it's just too much time, and I have to tinker as ownership goes in every single day, so I just uh, I don't, don't have the bandwidth right now. But 67 and below, if you could, please. Well, let me give one above that, and let's try to find one below that afterwards. So I do like Luke List this week at 6,800. I think he has that sort of upside that we're looking for in a no-cut tournament. It's going to be extremely volatile, but at 5%, he has the power to take apart this course. Like, it wouldn't shock me if he gave you a top 10 finish out of nowhere here. Um, can't can't be Webb. Yeah, I just saw that he was 6,700. I mean, you're setting yeah, me no, up. Per, yeah, right perfectly, now. yeah, too. And Jason Day or Norin fits perfectly, too, but... Yeah, let's just no, I can't I just, just like, can't do web. I can't do it. Let's just like randomly spitball some players out here. I mean that I guess can't be Woodland I, either. I'm not doing the withdrawal thing. Okay, that's fair. I, I do like Woodland a little bit. Like he probably be, that's like that's what my heart said. And then I'm just no, I'm not doing this. I'm doing one lineup and a higher stakes single entry. And I need somebody in this price range. I'm building it right now and never going to look at it again the rest of the week. The one thing I want to point out to the one thing I want to really quickly point out about Woodland, and I don't have this in front of me either right now, but I want to say in his last 13 tournaments, he's gained with his ball striking. He's losing such an egregious amount with the putter. It's the same exact thing that's happening with Luke list right now. Um, 
you know, I don't know if I trust him over four days, but in a no cut tournament, I'm willing to take some of that like volatility that he brings to the table. So I do like Woodland. I like Chris Kirk more than you like him, I guess. Um, I, I do think Chris Kirk, uh, he was honorable mention. Sorry to keep cutting you off, but he was going to be like, uh, like he, if, if there's anybody that I want to play, it's Chris Kirk just because he's always been so good to me. But I don't know. My model doesn't seem to think that this is the venue for him. He's down pretty, pretty low. Where is he at? He's below Bazaden Hout. He's below Woodland, Lucas, KH Lee. Um, slightly above JJ Spawn, though. So I guess if I had to choose, it'd be like Chris Kirk or Smalley. And I don't want to. I like Smalley, but I mean, that's not a shock. Ever you always Smalley. like Smalley. Yeah. Yeah. And I, like the one interesting thing I'll say about Alex Smalley is every single week that I'm running my model, he's getting worse and worse and worse. So I think as like the numbers keep coming in, that's at least worth pointing out that uh, things are going south. So he's 44th for me, 40th for upside. Like the best players that I have, at least players that are showing positive in some sense. Uh, Luke List, I do know that there are people that like Wyndham Clark this week. I don't know if I can necessarily get there, but if we're looking at distance and like putting, I mean, that's at least a recipe that he brings to the table. Uh, I like Chris Kirk, as I mentioned. I like Smalley a little bit. I don't know if I trust the data that I have on Byung Hunan. Um, numbers seem to like him a little bit. I had to regress some of the data back. Uh, I like Gary Woodland even at 9%. I, I think like that boomer bust potential works for him. Um, just like Chris Kirk, I'll throw out one more name, and it's not really the prototypical guy that you would think about at this venue. But my model does like Danny Willett a little bit, he's positive across the board and pretty much any single way that I ran this. And um, we've seen a little bit of form from him recently, like a second at the Fortinet. I know that, you know, there's a miscut at the Wyndham, a 67th at the Rocket Mortgage, but uh, a seventh at the 3M Open, that's kind of uh, uh, a venue that, I mean, I don't know if I would have necessarily thought about him there. So I don't know. I mean, thoughts on Danny Willett? Yeah, the, the long irons grayed out pretty well for me and the short irons grayed out extremely well. So the only distance or issue with him is going to be, I guess, lack of distance, but it's not terrible there. And just overall iron play in general is not, not there, but if his approach are from longer, I think that's somewhere that he could survive and he's a really good putter and good around the green. So uh, there's a lot to like about Danny. Will I think, all right, will it or Chris Kirk? Cause if I go to will it, let's see. If I play will it, I have some money left over to where I could play John Rahm over Scotty Sheffer. I think they're so, marginal moves in either direction. Of course. Damn it. Spence, just give me a direction. So Rom or Willett, if you had to choose, I will not hold you accountable for this. Or Scheffler and Chris Kirk. I lean Scheffler, Chris Kirk. But Ma I kind of like, I feel like if John Rom is getting hot, I don't want to miss it because I love watching that dude play golf, especially when he's on top of his game. My model likes the Scheffler Chris Kirk route, but from a leverage perspective, I mean, you can get very unique with the Danny Willett way. I think Rom is going to probably be the lowest owned in that top range. I see Willett right now at about half the ownership of Chris Kirk. So, um, you know, the one problem with Kirk and, you know, I keep saying like, if you have like adequate distance, you can get away with it. I don't know if 59th out of 78 players is quite adequate, but we're also talking about a $6,200 golfer. There's going to be problems on all of these players. Like if distance is the one real big problem that I'm finding at this point, and yeah, you could say maybe some of the bunker stuff also comes into play. Like he's 69th out of fairway bunkers. He's um, 38th out of greenside bunkers. That's a little bit better, but 
the proximity number is great. So he's 16th in my model at par three proximity, which is just reweighing all the par three holes. He's ninth from over 200 yards. That should help a little bit with the length of these par five holes. Like if you're telling me he's one of the better long iron players, maybe that makes up for the lack of distance that he has. And the short game is just spectacular for him. Like he's fourth for me and around the green. He's ninth when I added in three putt avoidance. He's third in strokes getting around the green over his last 24 rounds. Um, when I look at the weighted tee to green, he's 13 spots better than expectation on this course. So I think like, <clears throat> that's probably like as cheap as I'd want to get for a player. I mean, obviously like once you get below that, you're talking about a lot of, a lot of guys that I really want nothing to do with. Like I don't past him. I don't have anybody that's inside the top 70 of my models. So will, it's probably the last like realistic choice. John hug rated somewhat. Okay. Also, but that's an every week thing for me, but I think will, it's like the interesting pivot to be made away from a Gary Woodland. If you're trying to get off of Woodland and go to somebody else lower. Love it. All right. Let's get into some bets and get on onto here. I will give you my three. All I did is the outrights right now. I think I'm going to hold tight on matchups for a little bit longer because I will probably rerun my model just a little bit, but I got, uh, I think the same as you, I know Tommy Fleetwood 80 to one on DraftKings. I believe that number's still there. Uh, Camby's got Jordan Spieth at 33 to one. Like I said, I'm probably not going to have any DFS exposure. So I'll take the outright upside there. And then Shane Lowry, 35 to one on Camby as well. Do you have no uh, placement wagers this week? No, I mean, anything I'd have to go to top 10 and most books that I bet on don't pay in full. And there's the odds of it being a tie are significant. So I'm, I'm going to pass. And there's the whole margins on that market is terrible this week. They are. That's that's part of the problem. I, I did find two last week. Um, I had Satoshi Kadaira plus 225 to come top 40, and I had nice. Dylan Fratelli minus 110. So both of those came in. I didn't see quite as robust of a market this time around. I considered Luke List at plus 115 uh, to come top 40. I didn't ultimately get there. I'm just going to avoid that market altogether. But I have one head-to-head play. I considered a couple. I ended up going with Tommy Fleetwood minus 110 over Adam Hadwin on like DraftKings. Um, there are a couple of reasons behind this thought process. As I keep mentioning, I want upside and no-cut tournaments since we need the potential for high-end days. And Hadwin is a negative trajectory mover in that regard. Uh, two, Fleetwood is severely underrated in my model and experiences a positive grade when we look at purely potential. And three, my model seems to think Hadwin is going to finish You know, somewhere. This is a very broad range, but... 30th to 45th. That seems to be where he finishes every single week. And if I can't find someone better than that in a 78 man field that allows everyone to play all four rounds, I'll just consider this landing on the wrong side of EV. Um, you know, there are some reasons why, you know, Fleetwood have some problems. I know his mother died recently. Um, so, I mean, thoughts to him on that. I know he's trying to play through all of that right now and, you know, who knows what ends up happening. Um, but, I just think that we have like a price here where Fleetwood is being so severely underrated in the market. And then I have four outright tickets. I have Justin Thomas at 16 to one. Uh, that was on DraftKings. I have Jordan Spieth also at 33 to one. That would be your bet rivers and Camby shops. I took Aaron wise at 65 to one. Uh, that was a number that was on bet three, six, five. And then as Nick said, Tommy Fleetwood, 80 to one on DraftKings. Uh, just really quickly for the Fleetwood thought, like, I think there's a lot of similarities and I'm not saying he's as good of a play. I'm not saying that he should be exactly the same price, but to me, Fleetwood is very similar to Shane Lowry. So if you're going to give me 2.5 X on Fleetwood here, 
I decided to go that route. That doesn't mean Lowry can't win this tournament. I really liked Lowry, but with me already going to the top with Thomas and then taking some of that range that I was going to find to begin with, with Jordan Spieth at 33 to one, I didn't have enough room to get to Lowry. I took the next best thing with Tommy Fleetwood at 80 to one. Yep, I love it. I love that matchup, too, against Hadwin. I think that number is on the move, too, so move quickly if you're listening. Um, what would you bet that up to? Because I see some books have already moved it to, like, minus 115, minus 120. Would you go up to minus 130, or is that out for you? Minus 130 is the proper price that I have. So if you can get it at 115 still, I mean, it's a little bit below, like, the margin of what I'm looking for. And for the record, like, all these head-to-head plays in general, with it being a no-cut, we lose the miscut equity that I'm trying to find. So there was a play last week. I had um, KH Lee over Lucas Herbert uh, at a nine-shot lead going into Sunday. That implodes on the final day and it ends up being a push, thankfully. So it didn't end up losing. But, you know, that's kind of what you get in these tournaments is you think you have it locked down. And um, a lot of my process is trying to find that miscut potential. So unfortunately, like it makes it more difficult. So I wouldn't play it for too much. Um, I released that in my Rotoball article. And that's like what I'm trying to do now. I'm, I'm releasing that article as early as I can just for anybody that wants to get those plays before they move. But uh, I'm fine at 115. I mean, at 120, just realize you have about 10 points of value. Uh, anything that gets past that, it's like too thin for me. Cool. I'm with it. Yeah, this will be a, a fun one to watch. I personally think John Rahm wins. Um, again, I think if he found his game, it's going to be dangerous. But I am excited to see, hopefully, he and Rory uh, on the final tee time on Sunday. I'd love to see just a star-studded cast uh, get us get us down on Sunday with some football. I think that would be a nice little TV three or TV four event to watch and then watch all the games and see what happens. But I got John Rahm to win. If you had to choose who's winning, no odds, just your guy. I mean, I guess I'll go with Justin Thomas just because that's what my model seems to be spitting out. And like this lack of form for him is something that I'm willing to overlook because he hasn't played since what the BMW, or I guess, I mean, if you want to say the tour championship, but like presidents too, I guess, but then, but then you have the president's cup, like, like of like that is not being worked into people's models and he looked good there. I mean, maybe you could make the argument that Jordan Spieth carried him a little bit. And I think Spieth is probably my favorite, like pure bet on the board. Um, I would not be shocked if he rolls it over and wins this tournament, but from an upside perspective, my model likes Justin Thomas a bunch and it also likes Jordan Spieth. So it's kind of a cop-out answer, but I'll say one of those two get it done. Perfect. All right. Well, glad to be back. I don't know if we'll, uh, what tournament's next week? I don't even know. I'm that far behind on. Uh, It's the Butterfield Bermuda Championship. Sounds like one I will not be present for, but we'll see see what happens uh, with the bye weeks and everything. I guess my football workload is a little bit less. So the timing for a great event to come up with the CJ Cup was perfect. But excited to be back. I hope everybody crushes it this week in DFS and gambling as well. And thank you for the support. I'm I'm just ready. As much as I love football and everything, I am ready for like full season golf to be back again and getting ready for Augusta and all that. It's my favorite time of the year, I think. Yeah. Once again, thanks everyone for being patient with this show throughout the fall season. Uh, We are going to try to get this back to a more normal schedule over these next few weeks. We'll see if next week ends up having an episode, but you can find Nick on Twitter at sticks picks. I am at T off sports. The two of us can be found together at better golf pod. Please feel free to reach out to us on one of those handles. We always like hearing questions from you guys. We'll answer anything that you have out there and Good luck at the CJ Cup, and as we said, maybe we will see you guys back here next week to talk about the Butterfield Bermuda Championship.